Hey everybody, welcome back to the Financial Freedom Show. My name is Rob Berger. Today, we're gonna to take a look at a portfolio sent in by a viewer. Uh, as you know, I do a Rate My Portfolio series, and this is another episode in that series. We're gonna look at the portfolio of someone who's about 10 years away from retirement. They do have a financial advisor. And so it's gonna give us an opportunity to look at a couple of things. One is momentum uh, ETFs, and we'll talk about what momentum investing is smart sector investing and a smart sector ETF and what uh, that is. We're also gonna be able to look at the impact an advisor's fees have on our returns. We're gonna look at it both from an historical perspective, looking backward through a tool called Portfolio Visualizer. And we're gonna look at it sort of forward looking, what it's gonna look like over the next 10 years for this uh, viewer in terms of the fees, if they continue, continue to pay them until they retire. We'll do that through a tool called Personal Capital. And finally, yeah, this is kind of a lot. We're gonna look at what our asset allocation should be as we get near retirement. This viewer, her name is Belinda, is 10 years out. So should we start making changes to our asset allocation when we're 10 years away from retirement? And how should it change as we get closer to retirement? That's something that in the industry they call the glide path. You can imagine a glider sort of gliding into retirement. And, and as we go down, in theory, the, the portion of our portfolio allocated to equities should go down as well. At least that's sort of the traditional way to think about it. And so her portfolio is going to give us an opportunity to look at that issue as well. So we've got a lot to get to. Just two quick things. I do send out a newsletter. It's free every Sunday with information, articles I've read, books I've read, white papers that I've I've read that I think might be useful to you. You can sign up for that newsletter right below uh, the video. And if you're new to the channel, would love for you to join the community. You can subscribe. Uh, one of the things I do every Thursday at 11 a.m. Eastern time, you know, my schedule permitting, I do a live uh, Q&A on YouTube and Facebook. So you can ask your questions, anything about money, and I'll do my best to, to, to answer them. So I would look forward to you joining that. All right, enough chit chat, let's get right to it. Here's the email that Belinda sent me. She said, I have a rollover IRA with a financial advisor who charges 50 basis points for his fees. So that's a half a percent. 100 basis points would be 1%. So he charges one half of percent times the value of her investments each year. She goes on, she says, below are the funds he has me in and I wanted your take on this. We'll look at those funds in just a minute. There are five of them. And then she says, she tells me she's 57 and she's gonna retire in about 10 years. She has some other investments with the 401k and, and so on. And so she's 10 years out and kind of just wants to know what I think about the portfolio her advisor has put her in. So let's get right to it. Uh, what I'm gonna show you first, this is uh, a personal capital. It's a free tool that I use every day. Um, and it, it's, a, it's a great way to understand your investments as you'll see uh, throughout this video. This is a demo account. And uh, this is where I enter your portfolios that you send me. I can enter them manually in personal capital. You can also connect your accounts. And so I, I typically create a $1 million portfolio using the percentages that you send me. And that's what I've done here. So let's first take a look at the individual ETFs and then we'll get to the percentages. Three of them are pretty straightforward. The first one, SCHF, is Schwab International Equity ETF. It's your basic uh, low-cost uh, index ETF. In this case, it covers developed countries. Uh, the Schwab U.S. Large Cap, this is SCHX. Again, pretty straightforward fund. Uh, it's a large cap ETF. It's not an S&P 500. I think it tracks the Dow Jones Index. I think it has about 750 
uh, stocks in this ETF roughly, but very similar to an S&P 500. And then we're gonna skip down to the bottom. This was a fund that was new to me, JIBFX, but it's a basically a core bond fund, not unlike Vanguard's BND uh, fund. This one's a little more expensive, I believe 25 basis points. Uh, its duration is about six plus years, so it would be classified as an intermediate term bond fund. So those three funds, frankly, you could use them to create what we've talked about in the past, a three fund portfolio, pretty straightforward. The two that really caught my attention are these two right here. Let's start with SSUS. It's the Dayhagen Net, Net Davis Research Smart Sector ETF. We can see it here um, in Morningstar. And if we go to the portfolio, uh, we can see that uh, it's a large cap blend fund. We see here that it invests primarily in US companies. Uh, the, the style chart here, the style box, tells us that it invests in very large companies and it's sort of a blend between the value and growth approaches to investing. In a sense, it's very similar uh, to an S&P 500. In fact, if we go to uh, the Spider S&P 500, we can see, look, it's almost identical, the style box. So very similar to an S&P 500, but here's the deal. Um, the S&P 500 is comprised of, I think, 11 sectors. So you think technology, for example, or healthcare, these would be sectors. And so what smart sector uh, investing says is, look, we have some usually proprietary investing strategy where we can allocate uh, capital to sectors in a way that's different than what just the, a, a regular old index S&P 500 kind of fund would do. And we think over time we can do a better job than the market as a whole. We can actually outperform, in this case, the S&P 500, uh, because we can make decisions that maybe, for example, technology sector is overvalued, perhaps. And maybe I'm just making this up, but healthcare is undervalued. And so that's the idea. Um, I'm personally not a big fan of smart sector investing because I've yet to find a fund that actually outperforms the S&P 500, if that's the, the basic index that you're, you're trying to, 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 to beat um, over the long term. Now, maybe there are smart sector funds out there that have, have done it. And if you know of one, leave it in the comment below. I have yet to find one that over the long term can do it. In this case, this fund just launched in 2020. And in fact, as we'll see in a minute, Portfolio Visualizer only has about six months of data beginning at the beginning of this year, 2021. So my questions to an advisor who would recommend this fund to me would be, one, why smart sector investing? Why do you believe it will outperform the S&P 500 over the long term? And uh, do you have any examples? This is a new fund, but do you have any examples of existing funds that have beat the market over the last 10 or 20 years? Is there any history to suggest that this is a, a good approach? And I think in the, in the case of this specific fund, my question would be, why do you have confidence in this fund that just launched? Uh, do, do you know the, the, the people behind it? Do you know their strategy? Why do you have so much confidence in this fund that you're willing to put my hard-earned money into this in the, into this uh, ETF. Now, an advisor may have you know really good answers to those questions. I don't know, but those would be the questions I would ask. I will show you that when you look at the sectors, and here they are. Um, here you can see the percentage uh, for the fund versus the category. You know they're not dramatically different. It's interesting. Uh, you see they they are um, actually they have more in the technology sector than the category. It's kind of interesting. But 
it's not dramatically uh, different. Uh, so in that sense, it may over time start to 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 uh, have returns similar to an S&P 500. But again, my question would be, why are we why are we adding the, that complexity and uncertainty to this portfolio? Particularly, by the way, when if we go over to the quote page, we can see that it's around 70 basis points. Uh, yeah, 79 basis points. You know, you're going to get a S&P 500. Uh, index for you know just a couple basis points so you're you're paying uh quite a bit more so this fund has to beat the market by roughly we'll call it 75 basis points just to break even and uh so that would be my question for the advisor for uh this fund the other fund that caught my attention is this mtum which is what's called a momentum factor uh, uh etf and uh so the basic idea here and i'll come back to this in a minute but the basic idea with factor investing, it's to say, look, we're going to use some types of factors uh, to direct our investments. It could be growth uh, versus value, small companies versus uh, large companies, some kind of factor uh, analysis. And then the momentum idea is that you know stocks on the rise tend to to, to gain some momentum, and if they're, if they're if they're moving up, they tend to continue to move up. Well, until they don't, right? I've never been a huge fan of momentum investing. I know a lot of people are. Uh, I'm just generally not a believer in any sort of investing that re that, that uh, requires some idea of the short-term movements of of the market, whether it's an individual stock or uh, an index, you know, a market as a whole. I just don't think folks are generally good at doing that. And you have to be good. Uh, when you get into an investment, you have to time the market when you get out, and you have to do that repeatedly over a lifetime of investing. I suppose maybe there's someone out there that has been able to do that. Um, I, I don't, I've never met anyone or heard of anyone that can. Now, uh, I will say in this case, uh, the Momentum Fund actually has done okay against the S&P 500. Let me just show you this. If we go, come over to Portfolio Visualizer, we're going to put this fund. Again, the ticker is uh, MTUM. We'll put it right here and we'll, we'll have the portfolio at 100% and we'll just compare it to the S&P 500 and see how they how they compare. And we'll see, first of all, we get data from January 2014 because that's the data for this fund that Portfolio Visualizer has. It looks like the fund was started here May of 2013 and it's actually outperformed the S&P 500 by quite a lot actually. Uh, two and a half percent on the compound annual growth rate, and and with a standard deviation, which is a measure of volatility, that's pretty comparable. So it's actually done uh, uh, pretty well, and and that's fair enough. I think my question to the advisor would be, why do you believe in momentum? Why do you believe in this fund? Uh, yes, it's done well um, over the last seven or eight years. That's terrific. Uh, but do you have examples of other momentum funds that have outperformed over a longer period of time? Now. One thing I'll say about both of these funds is we're going to look, in fact, we'll look at it now, and that's the allocation. Because in both cases, the advisor put 10% of the total portfolio into those two funds. And I'll show you that now. I've already preloaded Belinda's portfolio. Here it is. And you can see this is the Momentum Fund, 10%. And this is the Smart uh, Sector Fund, 10%. And one thing I do believe is that, and I do this, I think it's fine to carve out a, a relatively small percentage of your portfolio to invest outside of index funds. In my case, 
uh, I invest in individual stocks. I generally like to limit it to 10%, although if I'm being transparent, my individual stocks are now 20% of my portfolio, but that's just because they've done really well. Um, I tend to like to at least start at 10%. I'm not gonna sell something just because it's done well. Um, so, you know, if, if momentum investing or smart sector investing is something you believe in and you wanna, you wanna uh, try, I think, you know, a relatively small portion of your portfolio, I think it's okay to do that. Uh, the question for Belinda would be, is that what you want to do? And if you talked to your advisor about it and gotten a, a good understanding of why he or she has made that allocation for you. Now, having said all of that, let's take a look at this portfolio. One downside that you'll see when we analyze it is that we only get data starting uh, just a few months ago. You see that right there. And the reason is this pesky uh, smart sector fund. It, it just launched last year, February of 2020. And now Portfolio Visualizer has data beginning in January of 2021. And you can see I'm comparing it to just an S&P 500 index. That's actually not a fair comparison. Why? Because uh, the portfolio Blend is in is 50% in bonds, but we'll come back to that for uh, in a moment. If you look at the portfolio, uh, no surprise that a 100% stock portfolio has outperformed it. So let's do this. Let's put 50% in the S&P and we'll put the other 50% in this bond fund that they're using and we'll analyze the portfolios. And um, when you look at it, uh, Belinda's is portfolio one and uh, the 50-50 portfolio is portfolio two and it's outperformed 8.76% versus 10.35%, right? But again, we're only looking at about six months uh, worth of, of data. So. One thing I tried was removing uh, the allocation to the smart sector portfolio and putting it into the large cap US portfolio. Now, the downside to this is, this isn't Belinda's portfolio. This isn't the portfolio her advisor is recommending, but I'm doing that again because of the limited data we have on the SSUS fund. When I analyze it this way, it goes back to January, 2014. So it's a little better. And as you can see, Actually, her portfolio, I think, has done pretty well. Sure, it's a few basis points below um, the 50-50 portfolio we created, but over the last seven or eight years, I, certainly I don't think we can complain about that. Um, and uh, so that's, I think, reasonable. Now, the one thing, though, uh, that we haven't accounted for are fees. One of the things I can do uh, in, in Portfolio Visualizer, because I have the paid version, I don't believe this is available in the free version, but that's why you've got me, right? We're gonna add a fee structure. She's paying 50 basis points. And um, I'm gonna, for shared fee structure, I'm gonna say no. Uh, and actually I should have done that first. It allows me to add the fees just to Belinda's portfolio. Uh, we'll imagine portfolio two as a sort of do-it-yourself portfolio where you're not paying an advisor. So how does that change this equation? Well, if we analyze it, Obviously, it's going to make it worse. Hey, you know, it dropped the compound annual growth rate. The numbers don't change dramatically. It's less than $1,000. I guess that's okay. However, keep in mind that for this analysis, we're, we're starting with just a $10,000 balance, number one. Uh, in this analysis, I hadn't added monthly contributions, and it only goes back to January 2014. So let's imagine we've got a $500,000 portfolio, and we're contributing, I'll just put in, $1,000 a month. That's less than maxing out a 401k. Obviously, you can use this tool yourself to put in your own assumptions. And we'll see probably eh, bigger numbers. 
Yeah, but even here, because we're making uh, monthly contributions, as we know, it changes the compound annual growth rate because you're buying in month-to-month -month dollar cost averaging. And so, yes, the two-fund portfolio outperformed, and that's not an insignificant number. Uh, at the end of the day, it comes to what? About $45,000. Still, I have to say, the portfolio that her advisor has her in, under all of these assumptions, I think has performed reasonably well. And of course, what the future holds, we don't know. Now, the big question I think I have for this portfolio is why a 50% allocation uh, to, um, to bonds? We mirrored that in this portfolio number two, but what if we said, you know, we're gonna do an 80-20. How does that stack up? And when we look at the numbers, we can see, boy, that makes a huge difference. Over the last seven, eight years, uh, again, with the assumptions I've put into uh, Portfolio Visualizer, we see significantly more uh, money in the final balance. We see um, a significantly higher compound annual growth rate. On the downside, this is a standard deviation, which is a measure of volatility. Uh, there's definitely uh, a lot more volatility in, in the second portfolio. And that brings us to the question of uh, glide path. So the glide path is how much do you allocate to equities, or I suppose you could do the reverse, how much do you allocate to bonds uh, as you uh, near retirement? Now, let me, let me start off by saying there's no one right answer. There's probably no 10 right answers. There are certainly some wrong answers. But when you look at the literature, when you look at what target date retirement funds do, what, what you look at what advisors recommend, what you look at how William Bengen, the father of the 4% rule, looked at this issue, you see all different kinds uh, of answers. His original paper assumed a steady uh, allocation that didn't move up or down. It was equities somewhere between 50 and 75%, and you just stuck with that all the way through retirement. Later, however, he published papers that looked at actually decreasing your equity allocation once you were in retirement, and it had similar results. Some have recommended continuing to decrease your equity allocation even after you retire for some number of years. Others have recommended actually increasing your allocation to stocks as you get older in retirement. All right, so I point that out to say there's no one right answer, but let me just sort of tell you how I think about it. And I'm in a very similar situation to Belinda, at least in terms of timing. I thought I was gonna be retired financially, and what I mean by that is living off of our nest egg. We're not right now, but I'm kind of in that, that mode where you know in the next couple of years it could, it could happen, depending on, well, I don't know, things like this YouTube channel. Uh, uh, so here's how I think about it. I think once you get to the 10-year mark, you really need to sit down and figure out this question. Not what should I do today? That's the second question. The first question I think you need to really think about is, what do I want my portfolio to look like when I actually retire? I wanna begin with the end in mind. When I retire, say five to 10 years from now, we'll put a range on it, what is the asset allocation that I think I want? Sure, I may change my mind, but doing the best I can, what should my allocation be? Now, in my view, for most people, the equity allocation should be somewhere between 50 and 75%. I base that on part, in part based on William Bengen's findings in his 1994 paper that generated the 4% rule. What, he's, what he found was you have a greater likelihood of success, that is having your money last at least 30 years, uh, it, using the 4% rule if your equity allocation is somewhere between 50 and 75%.
Are there reasons to, to, to move beyond either above or below that? Sure, there could be all kinds of reasons. Maybe you only need to live on one or 2% uh, of your nest egg and you're willing to take more risk. Maybe you've got $100 million and you don't feel like taking a risk and you just want all your money in bonds because it just doesn't matter. I mean, there could be all kinds of reasons to deviate from that. And if you want advice uh, to cater to your specific situation, you do need to reach out to a, a professional uh, a financial advisor. But I think for most people, it's somewhere between 50 and 75%. In our case, I'm, I'm definitely leaning more towards the 75% uh, percent range. I'll be very comfortable uh, with that. But I think we need sort of that, that end point before we can figure out what we should be doing over the next 10 years. Now, I want to give you an example of a glide path that you can look at. And this actually comes from Fidelity. This is Fidelity's Target Date Retirement Fund. It's their Freedom 2030 Fund. So I'm recording this in 2021. So this would be how they would invest money for folks retiring in about 10 years. And I know this is probably very, very small for you to see. I'll make it a little bigger. But between US equities, domestic equities, right, and international equities down here, they're at about 65, 66%. And this is, again, someone 10 years out from retirement. Now. If we go to their 2020 fund, this is someone who's basically already retired. We can see that their equity allocation here is 50%. So what that tells us, at least in, from Fidelity's perspective, what they see, at least if you want to stick with the target date retirement fund, is that folks that are just starting retirement should be a 50-50 allocation. Now, if that's what you think is best for you, 10 years out being at 65-35, it's certainly, I would think, within a reasonable range. And you could begin to uh, bring that down as you near retirement. I personally probably wouldn't be changing it year to year. You certainly could. I'd probably change it at the five-year mark. And then again, when I retired, the one key thing that I would look at, and this is my own sort of personal rule, is the following. I never invest money in the stock market that I need to spend in the next five years. So when I'm looking at my allocations, I'm always going to make sure, uh, particularly as I get into that five-year range and then move into retirement, that I've got at least five years of, of, of spending uh, in fixed income. Now, for those of you that have watched my, my bucket strategy videos, you may be saying, Rob, that sounds an awful lot like a bucket strategy. And I didn't think you were a fan of it. I'm, I'm actually not. I will allocate based on percentages, but I will always then look at those percentages, particularly the fixed income, and ask, all right, how many years can I live off of that? Frankly, it just gives me some comfort, to be quite honest. But, but I'm, and I may make adjustments based on that analysis, but at the end of the day, I'm going to use percentages. Uh, I just think it's much easier. Now, back to Belinda's portfolio. She's already at 50-50, and she's still a decade away from retirement. And remember, if we're thinking about a 30-year retirement, you know, for planning purposes, if you're going to retire like she is at a traditional age, she still has 40 years as an investor. She's very much a long-term investor. So my big, big question to her advisor would be, why in the world is she at 50-50? Now, he or she may have an answer to that question, and maybe there are other uh, things going on in her financial life where, I don't know, a 50-50 allocation makes sense. Uh, but that would be my big question for her portfolio. Why is it so, in my view, conservative uh, when she's 10 years out? Now, one last thing that I want to show you, and that is personal capital. Remember with Portfolio Visualizer, we could model her portfolio and, and burden it, if you will, with those 50 basis points from her advisor. One of the things uh, that personal capital allows us to do is look forward. 
So for example, over the next 10 years, how will that fee affect uh, her, her balance? So the way we do that is we go to this planning tab and we go down to uh, Retirement Fee Analyzer. Now, the first thing that I need to do is make sure we're only looking at her account because I have other accounts in here from past Rate My Portfolio uh, videos. So I'm gonna, I'm gonna unselect all of them. Here's her portfolio, there it is. Now, I wanna show you something. I've already put roughly her age here. You can see it right here, age 58, and uh, her retirement age. You actually can set these inside of your own personal capital account if you use the tool uh, here. And you can put a birth date. I just made one up that was roughly, uh, put the age at roughly 58. You can set your retirement age here to whatever, right? We're at 67. Uh, they ask for company size, uh, but also your risk tolerance, right? And um, you can set these. Now, one thing I want to point out is that when you set these, they affect more than just the retirement fee analyzer. If we just briefly pop over here to the retirement planner, you'll notice these ages are here too. So everything is sort of linked within personal capital. Changes that you make for the fee analyzer affect the retirement planner uh, as well. So just keep that in mind. So if we come back over to the fee analyzer, the first thing I wanna do is get rid of this assumption, which is the 50, 50 basis point fee. Um, what I've done here is I've, I've assumed an annual contribution to her retirement accounts of 15,000. Now, I don't know if that's correct or not. Obviously, uh, she and of course all of you, if you use personal capital, can make your own assumptions. Uh, I've put in a, an employee, employer match. Again, that may or may not, not apply to you. I'm assuming an annual growth of 7.5%. Now, I would say given her 50-50 portfolio, that's probably on the high side, but we'll, we'll leave it there. I think it's fine for our purposes. And if we look at that, Again, it's a million dollar portfolio. I don't know how much money she has, but of course, if it's more or less, that's gonna affect the numbers. Um, oh, and I see that I've gotta go back and make sure it's just her account. It changes when you move away from the screen, but it, when, in your own personal capital account, of course, you can just include all of them. So her fees uh, with all of these assumptions over the next roughly 10 years will be 30, we'll call it $39,000. Now her, her expense ratio on a weighted average is 23 basis points. We see that right here. So uh, I think that's reasonable. I think it's pretty good. Can you can you get lower? Sure. Part of the issue is that bond fund is half of her portfolio and it's over 20 basis points. Uh, and those momentum and smart sector uh, uh, ETFs are expensive. Uh, but still overall, that's reasonable. But now we can include the 50 basis points. So we just do the slider over here. There it is. And by the way, you can use the arrows to change it one at a time. If Sometimes it's hard to get the exact number. And you can see what this does. I mean, it basically adds almost about 90 grand in fees uh, over the 10 year period. So I, I highly recommend this. I mean, I think this retirement uh, fee analyzer and the retirement planner are, are excellent tools to understand your portfolio. Of course, we could also look at um, the uh, allocation of her portfolio here um, as well, we've already kind of looked at it, but we can see what it is. Sure enough, roughly 50-50 between stocks and, and bonds. Now, the one thing I want to stress, I don't, I don't take away from that fee analysis that you shouldn't use an advisor, that she shouldn't stick with her current advisor. I think what we need to do is make informed decisions. And I fully understand that some folks want to use an advisor. And as advisors go, 50 basis points is reasonable. Can you get uh, less expensive advice? Sure, Vanguard offers it for 30 basis points, but you do everything by phone. 
Maybe you have someone you've used a long time, you meet with them in person, you're comfortable with them. As long as their fees are reasonable, I think that's fine. But I do think it's worth understanding the impact those fees will have on your portfolio uh, over the long term. So that's my take and sort of the questions that I would ask an advisor if he or, he or she were recommending this portfolio to me. I hope you found it helpful. Uh, I'll leave links to Portfolio Visualizer and Personal Capital uh, below the video. And of course, if you have any questions, just leave them in the comments below. I'll, I'll do my best to help you out any way I can. If you'd like me to rate your portfolio, and I've got a ton of requests, I'll just be honest with you, but uh, feel free to send me an email. You can find the contact information on my site, robberger.com. Uh, hey, hope you have a great day. And until next time, remember, the best thing money can buy is financial freedom.